0: Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at celebrationedm. EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message.
1: You know, in Colossians, <coughs> excuse me, the scripture says, let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all that he has done. And I think this, the message of, Thanksgiving uh, from the scripture is so vital, especially at this time, because of so much that people are dealing with in terms of of their mental health, in terms of where their thoughts are going. And throughout uh, this pandemic, there's a daily push on us of negativity as we live with restrictions, as we hear people talk about the new normal. I don't know about you, I really like the old normal, but... um, and live with the concern for our health or our family's health. The other part of this is just hearing uh, daily on the news the number of cases, hospitalizations, patients in the ICUs, et cetera. So, you know, the point is this, is that we're just living under this this constant negativity and uh, this overwhelming sense as well about what has been taken away from us because of the virus and then not knowing when uh, things are going to change. And so, you know, things that we used to do uh, without any thought or care, maybe we can't do that at all right now, uh, or, or we can, but it has all these guide, guidances to it. Uh, the travel limitations, things of that nature, the implementation of restrictions that impact not only uh, what you can do and what you can't do, but even, even not just in the community, but at home, all these things. And so there's this, there's this sense of loss uh, that comes from restrictions and limitations. And, and this, can, this can really preoccupy your thoughts. It can become your focus. It can become, uh, you know, your whole view of life is just seeing all, all of these things happening. And what you feel by going through that can actually be all summarized up in one word, and that word is grief. The word is grief. That is, that is the deep down results emotionally, because grief basically is that feeling that you have, that that emotional response to a sense of loss of some kind. And so we all have our, I used to do this, I used to go here, I used to go there, you know, all all those kinds of things, and and that's not happening and leaves us in a place of grief. You know, for instance, one of my favorite coffee shops is now turned into a cannabis store. I just wanted to get a baked good. I didn't want to get baked, you know what I'm saying? And my barbershop is now a cannabis store. And you can imagine how troubling it is to get a guy finally to understand how to do my hair, and gone. So there's some tremendous losses that I personally have experienced I thought I'd share with you. But at any rate, we're all facing, I'm, I'm making light of it, but let, the truth is we're all facing a loss of some kind, and, and some of them are a lot more than big goods and haircuts. Grief experts, however, will tell you this. Gratitude can be one of the most powerful grief healing tools that we have. It really can be. Gratitude is necessary for our mental health. The other emotion that people can be uh, facing going through challenging times like this is a sense of anxiety. Anxiety fundamentally because uh, what it is, is anxiety is just a fear of the unknown. And there's so much that is unknown that we're dealing with every week. And so there's this anxiety that's rooted in what's going to happen in the future. And I, I don't really know. And, and uh, you know, how is everything going on right now going to impact my life over the long haul? And, and gratitude is the antidote for grief. But gratitude is also the antidote for anxiety. Gratitude is God's gift to us so that we can actually, if you will, self-medicate our thinking and our thoughts and emotions. That's literally what happens because of gratitude. It's like medicine to the mind. Consciously focusing on gratitude is a way to pull ourselves out of the feelings of anxiety and depression that are so common in our pandemic-colored world. Harvard Medical School goes on to say this, Research shows a strong, consistent association between gratitude and happiness. In other words, if gratitude's being practiced, you're you're just going to be a happier person. It's going to impact your disposition. And when you think of gratitude as mental health medicine, it, it just makes the passages of Scripture all that much more meaningful, where it says things like in 1 Thessalonians 5, In everything, give thanks for this for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, give thanks. Can you just finish that for me? In everything? Okay, let's say it like you mean it. In everything, oh that's good. In everything, in a heat wave, in an election, in uncertain times, in a pandemic, in restrictions in physical distancing, in business interruption, when you're on another Zoom meeting, when you have to wear a mask in church, when gas prices go up 20 cents. Wrong answer, wrong answer. No thanks, that's right, that's the answer for that. All right, all right, no thank you, no thank you. Gonna pass on that one. Here's the deal. I'm not thankful for my problems. But the Bible is telling me to be thankful in my problems. In everything, I can find something to be thankful for. And so just because I'm dealing with stuff doesn't mean that has to overwhelm me mentally and emotionally and spiritually. When you simply follow the instruction of Scripture, studies have shown it will impact your mental well-being. And this is so contrary to our humanity to, in everything, give thanks. Because I don't know about you, but I think there's some things, I don't want to give thanks, I just want to give my opinion. I just want to give my complaint. I just want to give my criticism, maybe even give a piece of my mind. But those will never lead to a healthy thought life, a healthy spiritual life, an emotional life. That's just not how to deal with it. That's not how to take your life out of a place of grief and and into a place of health. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12 says, I know how to live, Paul's writing, on almost nothing, or with everything. I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want. We already read what Paul's secret was, and that is his secret was thanksgiving, giving thanks. He didn't depend on right circumstances to be able to employ gratitude. What the scriptures are telling us is that contentment is more about your attitude than it is about your circumstance. Gratitude doesn't change the circumstances, but it does change you in spite of the circumstances. Paul says he found contentment, whether he was hungry or whether he was plenty, abundance or want. Robert Emmons, professor of psychology at UC Davis, says the best medicine for mental health is a regular practice of gratitude. It is precisely during, this is really powerful what he says here, it is precisely during difficult times where gratitude achieves its maximum power. In other words, anybody can be grateful when all is good. When everything's going good, you're like, oh, praise God, everything's great, everything's great. But what he's saying is this, when you're in a difficult time, when you're facing your biggest challenge, and then you choose to be thankful, that's when gratitude has its biggest impact into your life. He goes on to say this, in the face of demoralization, gratitude has the power to energize. In the face of brokenness, gratitude has the power to heal. And in the face of despair, gratitude has the power to bring hope. Proverbs 17, says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bone. Gratitude is what feeds joy into our heart. I did an interview this week with somebody from our congregation. I'd like you to go ahead and watch that right now. Well, everybody, I want to introduce you to Jeremy Claussen, And uh, Jeremy and his family attend here at Celebration. Three three kids uh, and his wife, and uh, very active. Um, Jeremy has been here since the late '90s, and Something that has been happening on Facebook that I've noticed uh, during the pandemic, uh, especially throughout the last, I guess, 12 months or so, is this daily gratitude post that you have been making. And I'm like, does this guy not run out of things to be thankful for, you know? It just keeps going. So, you know, being that it's Thanksgiving weekend, I thought this would be a great time to have a chat and, and find out, first of all, like, how did you get into doing that? What sparked the idea?
0: In, in early January, uh, we were at church, or, well, probably not, but we were probably- Watching. Uh, watching. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you had said something, and, it, and I don't even remember what it was specifically that you said, but I remember how I felt. Felt this, this need to express to my family just how important they are to me and to make that kind of a public statement basically to kind of stand up and say you know what I, I love you guys and I appreciate it and I want you all to know that um, and so I, I posted on on Facebook that I was grateful for for my, my family and then it, it occurred to me that I should be able to list off a year's worth of things that I'm grateful for I, yeah that
1: should be possible so this you're now in like the 10th month Yeah. okay all right so after 10 months of daily Facebook gratitude posts, how has that impacted you personally?
0: I, uh, I'm, all, I'm constantly kind of aware of what's going on around me and I'm looking for those things that I'm, I'm grateful for. And in addition, and I was noticing this actually last, this last week, I daily go through a list in my head of the things that I'm grateful for because I'm looking for that thing that, that's new. Wow. And so that forces me to think, you know, shoot, I am really grateful for my car. It's not a great car, but it works. It's it's in good condition. Um, I, I love that car. You know, my house. It's we're not we don't live in a big house, but it's it's warm. It's it's comfortable. It's exactly what we need. And so, I am. I am daily running through my, counting my blessings.
1: It's like you've trained your thinking to look for the good in life mm-hmm. and to be thankful. How has that overflown into, say, your family life or other relationships? What impact have you have you seen out of that?
0: Our school, where I where I work, um, after I started this, like a couple months in, uh, some people started to do this in our in our school community. I have some some non-Christian friends that have been like kind of watching and wondering, you know, what kind of challenge is this that you're mm-hmm. participating in, and they're they're really aware of it, and um, yeah, just people asking questions and whatnot about. About what I'm doing right so
1: oh, very good well um, we actually today are kind of spinning off of what you did and it's inspired us to put out a 30-day challenge uh, that is happening starting this weekend and uh, we're, we're giving out a journal that you're gonna receive at the end of the service as you leave the service today somebody's gonna hand you a gratitude journal and our challenge is to say for the next 30 days Find something every day that you can write in that journal, something that you're thankful for. I believe it's going to make a positive difference in your life and in the lives of others around you. Thanks so much, Jeremy, for being here and being a part of this. So this is the journal that you'll be receiving as you exit today. You'll be given one of these. Take it. 30-day challenge. I figured if if Jeremy could do 365, we could at least hit about 10%, okay? And uh, do that every day. Write down what it is you're grateful for. Just watch the impact that it has, you know, on your thoughts and on your attitude and, and just literally practice Thanksgiving. Literally practice Thanksgiving. Gratitude unlocks contentment. You know, we live in a culture that is so prone to comparison and then comparison typically leads you to a place of discontentment comparison is very unfair because what you tend to do is look at what's not going well in your life and compare it to what's going great in somebody else's life. But we're constantly we're constantly being told to upgrade our lives. I mean, that's just the the that's just the industry that we live around. Commercials. They're not telling you you need this because you don't have it. What they're saying is you have one, but the one you have is not as good as this one and you'd be a lot happier if you had this one. Billboards, radio, TV, YouTube, you name it. It's everywhere. And they paint a picture that is meant for you to see your happiness in the form of having their product or the experience that they're selling. Social media takes comparison to a whole nother level. Snapshots, of the best moments of somebody else's life get posted and can uh, be an invitation for comparison or perhaps a reminder of something that maybe you don't have well they show you what's going on in their world and, and what what you don't get with a snapshot on, on on social media or a quick video is you don't get the background of all the many different difficult things and challenges and prices paid and all the rest to get to this pinnacle moment. It's like they're posting, you know, the the last line of the joke without giving you the lead up to it. And and, and so it it really is, is, in a sense, not a reality. But it does take you to a place of comparison. You see, envy and jealousy, here's the thing about envy and jealousy. They're not just a sin against God, but they're actually a sin against yourself. So think about it. When you get into envy and jealousy, You are actually doing something that is against yourself. It's against your welfare. It's against your happiness. It's against your attitude of mind. It's the sin against yourself. It undermines contentment and will keep you from seeing what is good and what is working in your own world. And you know what? They never overlook the value of what God has placed in your life while you celebrate what God is doing in somebody else's life. That's what envy and jealousy do. They keep you blinded, if you will, from seeing the value of all that God has in your life because you're so busy celebrating what's in somebody else's life. And what you have in your life is not just, by the way, material blessings, but you have gifts, you have abilities, you have skills, you have opportunities, you have potential, and you have a calling from God that you need to be well aware of and living in. They also form a self-deception. This is what envy and jealousy does. It forms a self-deception that says this, if I was living their life, I would be a happier person. Well, here's the problem with that, a couple of things. First of all, you will never live their life because you're not them. It's an unfair request. It is like a goal that could never be reached. It's an absolute fantasy To live in a place mentally where you're thinking, if I could live their life, I'd really be a happy person. You're not them. You're not them. Here's the second thing. Changing your circumstances of life doesn't change who you are. You're still the same person. And contentment is a function of what is in you, not what is around you. And so while you're in a place of envy or while you're in a place of jealousy, you're actually losing the appreciation for what you have, and it's actually sabotaging your ability to enjoy your life right now. Instead, you build this illusion of something that you need to attain to in order to be happy, and it's unattainable. It's completely unattainable. Or even if you got it, you discover that it wasn't as great as it looked like from a distance. Contentment is this. Contentment is wanting what you got wanting what you've got, enjoying where you're at at this time, seeing the good, not in the future, but now, and not living with destination disease. Here's what destination disease is. It's this thinking that says, when I get there, when I get to have this, when I get this accomplished, boy, that's when life's really going to happen. That's when I'm going to really be happy. You know what? Contentment does this for you. Contentment allows you to have vision for your life while enjoying the journey to get there. I think it's great to have vision. I think it's great to have some destination, some goals, things that you want to do, things that you want to see happen in your life. That's awesome. But you know what contentment does? Contentment says, good to have that, but you can be happy now. Good to have that, but there's a journey to getting there. You might as well enjoy the journey, not just the destination. The other thing about discontentment is that it can get into single people's thoughts when it comes to marriage. You're mm-hmm. like, he's not going to go there. We're already there. And that is the thought of, well, when I get married, you know, then I'm really going to be happy. This is going to be awesome. The illusion that getting married will take your unhappy life and make it happy. Um, I just kind of want to break that down for you. One unhappy person getting married to another unhappy person doesn't equal a happy couple. Formula doesn't work. You got to get happy before you get married because here's the problem with getting married. You bring yourself into it. You show up in the condition that you're in. Better let God grow you, develop you, change you, deal with you so that you're in a good condition and ready to to engage in that next phase of life. When we are truly thankful for all that we have, it builds a sense of contentment because it keeps us from the pitfalls of comparison and self-pity. Discontentment gets us looking to greener pastures, wishing we had something else in life, wishing our life circumstances were different, gratitude, Um, magnifies what's good and magnifies the blessings that you have now. I've heard this about greener grasses. Rather than looking at greener grasses thinking, I wish I was there, why don't you just water your own lawn? Gratitude communicates value in relationships. There's seven times in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul writes the church, and when he writes the church, with this specific statement, I should say. He writes the church with a statement of gratitude in the leading up of what he's gonna say. So for instance, Philippians 1.3 is an example. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That's how he begins his conversation. Man, whenever I think about you, I just thank God for you. And then what follows is his address as to what's going on in the church and what needs to change and all these things. And in some of these cases, where Paul writes, and he starts with a statement of thanksgiving for them. He then gets into talking about some really strong subjects. I mean, he's talking about disunity and grumbling and complaining and pride and wrong attitudes and divisive people and gossips and moral failure, uh, authority issues, marriage issues, holiness, worldly ways, spiritual gifts, et cetera. There's a pile of stuff he talks about. And he deals with these heavy topics, these vital issues. And he's got some really strong words to say to people about things that were going on in the church. He doesn't beat around the bush at all. But Paul doesn't just jump into what he has heard or seen or knows that needs to be changed and give his advice and correction. Instead, he leads with thanksgiving. He shows his appreciation. That's how he opens up the topic. He tells them that he thanks God for them, at every remembrance when he prays for them. You know, he's just, here's the deal. Here's what is going on. Paul wasn't going to let his differences become division. Paul's going to lead with gratitude and connect with these people. And by the way, I just did a whole video on this whole differences and division that is on our website or Facebook or however you like to follow along. If you haven't seen it, I want to say, please see it. And I'm not the guy who comes up and plugs what I do every week or posts or whatever. But on that one, I'm putting a plug in and saying everybody needs to listen to it. So thank you for listening to it in advance, by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. (laughs) Paul is communicating his his attitude of heart. And though he has to speak to these things that need to change, uh, he just refuses to allow them to determine the attitude out of which he's going to connect with these people. In other words, Paul could have, could have wrote these letters and it could have been rooted in his frustration, could have been rooted in his anger about what was going on, could have been rooted in just his difference of opinion and here's the issue and here's why and his argument and all the rest of it. But here's what he does. He roots it in gratitude. He roots it in appreciation for these people as human beings And as people who have decided to follow Christ and and to celebrate the, if you will, unity of that and the blessing of that and to say, hey, you've decided to follow Jesus, that's awesome. Love you guys, so appreciate you, appreciate you as a church, all the rest of it. And he's intentional about seeing the good and he's intentional about appreciating them. Now, why is this so important? Because it establishes and communicates the person's value on the front end. And when we are thankful for someone, what we're saying is this. I value you as a person. And here's why that's so important. I'm about to make some statements to bring some correction. I don't want you to misread that as me devaluing you as a person. And so he 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 sets this up with his gratitude comment. You are communicating people's value when you lead with thanksgiving. Paul valued the church he was overseeing. It had a lot of issues. But he starts off with, I just thank God for you. Now we got to talk about some things, but I want you to know I thank God for you. The other thing that thanksgiving does is it shares recognition. It brings people out of the dark of feeling like they contribute but are never, never recognized. And, and you know people aren't necessarily looking for a trophy or a medal or a plaque on the wall, but they do want to know that what they did matters. And when we say thank you, we're telling them what you did matters to people and it matters to god gratitude is how we say you matter you're appreciated your contribution counts finally this the awareness of god's favor makes a thankful heart the awareness of god's favor is what makes a thankful heart luke chapter 17 scripture reads this way well he, speaking of Jesus, was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. I want you to just note his location. The Bible's giving some some details here, but it's for for a reason. Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 men with leprosy who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priests. Now, why would he say, go show yourself to the priests? We're going to find out about that in just a minute, too. As they were going, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. But Jesus responded and said, Were there not 10 cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. The key to this story is found in this one statement in the middle of it, where Jesus points out this and says, he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. The implication here is that the others were most likely Jews. Say, how do you know that? Two reasons. First of all, Jesus was between Samaria and Galilee. Jews lived in Galilee. Samaritans lived, lived in Samaria. When they got leprosy, it didn't matter who you were. Okay? Second reason is this. Jesus responds to, to them with Jewish custom and says, go show yourself to the priests. In other, words, in other words, this was what Jews were taught. When you received a healing, you got a miracle, your leprosy was gone, you went and sort of validated that, if you will, by going and showing yourself to the priests. Now, that's worth noting as well. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't mingle. You know, the Jews were the people of God. The Samaritans were the pagans. But when they had leprosy, it actually brought them all together. Leprosy in the New Testament is a physical picture of a spiritual condition called sin. Sin puts everybody on the same playing field. Sin removes all status of life. Sin doesn't allow any exemptions. Sin levels us as human beings into one race, sinners, people who are lost, who need a savior. That's it. Now, why is this so important to note then that he was a Samaritan? Because the Jews had promises in scriptures around miracles and the expectation to receive healing from God. Samaritans, they didn't have those expectations. In fact, there's a time where where Jesus has this woman come up to him, a Canaanite woman, who wanted Jesus to deliver uh, her daughter from demonic possession. Jesus responds and says this, It wasn't good to give the children's bread to dogs. Now, my, my goodness, Jesus, that's, you know, pretty strong language. No, it's symbolic. Children's bread was healing that was meant for the Jewish people. Dogs was an expression of people who are outside of Israel, people who are non-Jewish, okay? So that's what he's saying. He's not trying to insult her, just saying this is a terminology. Jesus responded by saying, or the woman, I should say, responds to Jesus by saying this, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall on the floor. So she takes the term and then puts it into another illustration of having a house pet. Jesus told her her faith was great, and then he heals her daughter. The Samaritan who returned and gave thanks had no promise of healing. He didn't have status of being a Jew. He was an outsider and he knew it. Not only was he an outsider, he was an outsider with leprosy. So he's like an outsider's outsider. And when he got healed, what that meant to him is that he was the recipient of God's favor and mercy. And there was nothing about him that called for that. It was just God's free will and God's love that did that. And, and it, he couldn't help but have to run back to Jesus and say, Thank you. Thank you. It's natural to be grateful when you know that all that you have is actually an act of God's favor on your life. And the enemy of that level of gratitude is entitlement. Entitlement was probably more the attitude of the others who didn't come back to Jesus. Why? Well, we've already been promised us. We were expecting this. This is supposed to happen. Once we feel entitled, like we deserve the blessing in some way, we don't recognize that the blessing is actually an act of the favor of God. Rather, we see it as something that we've earned or we deserved. And if you don't see the favor of God, you're probably not seeing the God who gives favors. Blessing is then our just payment that we're entitled to, not something to be grateful for. The problem with this is once you fall into entitlement thinking, you just keep expecting more without fully appreciating what you already have. Entitlement is the doorway to discontentment. Entitlement is the manifestation of losing sight of what is in your life because of the favor of God. And I feel like if I lose sight of what is from the favor of God, I'm losing sight of God himself and his hand on my life. The story of Jesus healing this Samaritan leper is also a picture of what God does in salvation. You might feel very much like an outsider, and you might feel like, you don't deserve forgiveness or a second chance in life. And you might feel like your life is in a place of hopelessness right now, just like that Samaritan leper was. But that's not how God sees you. Jesus came to lift you out of where sin has taken you. He comes to forgive. He comes to remove all shame and to give you an absolute new start in life and a relationship with the Heavenly Father. I just want to welcome us all to stand this time. And if you're in the room and you're that person who says, yeah, I I do feel like an outsider. I do feel far from God. um, I want you to know that that can change in a moment. By putting our faith in Jesus, by saying yes to the Lord, by receiving his forgiveness, you can move from that place of feeling disconnect to a place of knowing and assurance of your salvation of being right with God and beginning a relationship and discovering his purpose in your life. Whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching online, I just want to invite us all to join in this prayer. And for those who would say, this prayer's for me, we're doing this together to support you. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross and you died for my sins and you rose again. I ask you to forgive my past I invite you into my life, and I confess you as my Lord and my Savior, and I'll follow you with all my heart. In Jesus' name, thank you for making me one of your family. Jesus' name. Thanks for
0: listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.